Welcome into the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Bream, Eric Scopel with me on the show as always. We're about two weeks into fall camp. This episode's dropping on Friday, October 23rd. The program will be having their second scrimmage on Saturday, tomorrow, and there's going to be a lot to learn from that from that one. And Eric and I are going to break down kind of some things that we're, we're positive about and, and some, some, some things more so that we're curious, concerned about with this Oregon football team. And before we do that, we're going to discuss some options to support the podcast, to keep us going. First of which, subscribe today for $1 for your first month, $9.95 per month after that. Second option, save a huge chunk of money, $36 and change over the course of a year by subscribing for an annual membership, $75.18 one time. Inside scoop on the Oregon Ducks, expert analysis and opinion. Read all the content across the entire 24-7 sports network. And both options come with the CBS All Access streaming. It's a free edition. It's a it's about a $99 value. You get live shows, live sports, movies on demand. Uh, you have access to multiple channels. I was just cruising around on it today. They've got the new Star Trek episodes. Uh, you get that on your device or your TV free with a, with your membership to DuckTerritory.com. I apologize right now. Uh, sounds like there could be some yard work going on in my neighborhood. <laughs> uh, and so if it carries over, unfortunately, bad timing. And hope you know we can't pause the show anymore we've done it a couple times and we're just gonna have to work through it so hopefully this you don't hear it but if you do uh, i apologize for that all right eric um let's start offensively some causes for concern or curiosity things that are maybe unknown at this point um i feel pretty good we know who's one and two along at quarterback tyler shuck is one anthony brown is two um, we feel pretty good about – we don't feel pretty good. We know, essentially, what's going on at running back for Oregon. I mean, it's it's a three-headed monster. CJ is the starter, and then Travis Dye and Cyrus Avila Keogh are their, his primary backups. And I almost kind of consider them co-starters because they're both guys, juniors as well, are both going to play a ton. You know what you have with that group, that trio – now it's just what can the younger guys, redshirt freshman Sean Dollars and true freshman Trey Benson, do with the limited reps that they're going to get? Or can they maybe eat into some of the reps that Cyrus and Travis Dye would be getting? And if they do, that's just an added bonus because you're already pretty set at that position. Um, so I look at now of, okay, what does Oregon have along the offensive line? What does Oregon have at the receiver group? And what does Oregon have at the tight end group? Um, I think the tight end position is the most, boy, it could go in any direction in terms of who starts. But I feel like at least each player on that, on that, in that position room brings something unique to the table and you can kind of spot check, okay, this guy is coming in for this scenario and then that guy is going to be used in that scenario and this guy can kind of do both to give you kind of a blend and you at least have like one guy who's a specialist at something and you feel very good about that guy's ability. 
Um, so while we don't have maybe a clear cut starter at tight end, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. And so that leads me to just the receiving group, the receiving core and the offensive line. And for me, I'm pretty confident in Oregon's top three receivers, Micah Pittman, Jalen red and, um, Johnny Johnson. And I, ironically enough, went descending order of most productive from returning <laughs> yeah. back. Johnny Johnson is the most productive guy of that group. He should have been named first. And so that gravitates me towards O-line. Um, I feel like we know who the five are, but where those five guys fit within the starting lineup to me is maybe the biggest question mark going into the second scrimmage because it feels like it could go a bunch of different ways. We spoke with offensive line coach, Alex Mirabal on Wednesday night, and he addressed this situation, I think, pretty clearly. And I'm just saying right now they're trying to find – I mean, here's basically the order of operations. They want to get through the second scrimmage. They think that provides the baseline for the information of actually seeing the guys with, quote-unquote, game experience, which is what they're trying to simulate in these scrimmages. And then once you do that, they want to find five guys. Their goal is to get to the five guys after that. He, he did say they're eight or nine players in, uh, in, you know, in contention. I agree with Matt that it feels like we have a really good idea about who the five are. Um, Steven Jones, TJ Bass, Alex Forsyth, Malasala, Amave, Lealu, and George Moore feel really like it's going to be those five guys. And if it's, there could be a, a couple of wild cards that jump in there. We heard good things this week about Ryan Walk, a walk on center. Um, we've heard some really positive things about Dawson Uramillo the last couple of days, actually, as well. But I, I kind of feel like it's those five guys. And so it's once they get to those five guys, Mirabal said you get to the five guys and then you figure out where everybody fits in. And that's the part to me that gets, I don't want to say I'm concerned, but that's the part where I'm, I guess I have the biggest question mark because he said that they, all these guys are cross training at guard and tackle. Every single player is working at guard and tackle besides Alex Forsyth, who seems to be at center. And even Alex said last week that he was moving around between all the spots too. So, um, uh, my inclination here is is we know the five, like Matt says, we have a very good idea. Maybe maybe there's a sixth candidate that jumps in there, but we know the five, and now it's just where it lines. And I think that's the big, probably to me, if, if you know, and the, the offensive staff, that would be the big order of business to try to assess in this scrimmage of okay, where does everybody fit best? Who's our best left tackle? Okay, who fits best at right guard? Um, you know, and and if that's the case, how does everything else play around them? So. Uh, I, I think it's going to be interesting to, to hear more um, next week and, and actually be interesting to see how much Cristobal will divulge after the scrimmage on Saturday. Um, typically, he's sort of kind of holds back a little bit until he's seen the film. And obviously, we're going to get him shortly after that. So I don't expect he'll have a ton of information. But who knows? Maybe he'll just have a couple guys. And maybe it'll be really clear that, hey, this is these guys really, really took ownership of these spots. Um, but I'm with you. And I think the other one for me, and I don't think it's quite as big as offensive line, it's just the, the kind of like who, who's going to be the main tight end. And then it's mm -hmm. what's the depth behind the three guys you mentioned. And I think that second part receiver. Yeah. Receiver. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Receiver. The three guys you mentioned at receiver. Um, because I think, yeah, we know who the three guys in the starting lineup are. I feel really, really confident. I think Tyler Shuck basically came out and said, these are the three guys I'm working with. <laughs> it's, it's Micah Pittman, Johnny Johnson, and Jalen Wright. These are the guys I've been working with the most. Um, we, I, I feel very confident those are the three guys. It's Now it's to me, it's do they have a fourth and fifth guy? Do they have a sixth guy? How deep can they go? We, this is a year where you're going to need to go deep. Oregon carries like 10 scholarship receivers. So they have the bodies at least. 
but I don't know who's really that fourth guy right now. It kind of feels like Chris Hudson based upon yeah, I was something. Gonna say, I almost kind of consider Chris Hudson a, a solid number four. I mean, everything we've heard about him is he's just balling out. Has very, very similar vibes to Micah Pittman last year. I, I agree with that. So I guess let's let's call Chris Hudson the fourth guy, but who's the fifth guy? And I know I think we yeah. posed this question. You need six guys. Yeah, you need minimum. six guys, and probably you need seven or so this year because of COVID. Um, maybe you need eight, really. Um, that's a question that um, when we had Brian McClendon on, you know, he kind of, he was he was pretty not as forthright as someone like Alex Mirabal. And it was also earlier in camp in terms of kind of what the the game plan of figuring that out. I mean, they basically said we're cross training everybody. There's a bunch of guys we like, all the guys, et cetera, et cetera. But to me, along with the offensive line and kind of where everybody fits in, it's it's really after those main three guys, who are who, who can help, who can jump in. Um, Devin Williams, we mentioned him earlier in the week, um, I think on a podcast. We hadn't heard a lot about him. We've actually heard quite a few positive things. Maybe they were listening to podcasts and going, okay, now we need to start <laughs> talking about Devin Williams because the guys at Duck Territory haven't been get, he didn't think he's gotten enough love. Here, let me throw out another name and maybe we'll start hearing his name. <laughs> Brian Addison. I, we haven't heard his name. I don't know if we've heard his name once. No, we haven't. Um, that's concerning to me. And I mean, he that's is, a guy. Yeah. I was going to jump in there anyways with him because last year, 18 catches, 203 yards, one reception for a touchdown. And you look at that and think, you know what? That is a very, very solid freshman year in yeah. 2019. And a, a situation in which he started six games he played a little bit. He got his feet wet. Now as a sophomore, as a redshirt sophomore, this is going to be a guy who's who could potentially triple all of that. You know, go from 18 receptions to 46 or you know, receptions as, as in, a in sophomore. a standard in a standard year. In a standard not, year. Yeah. In a standard yeah. year. Right. In a standard year of 12 games, you know, all of a sudden go to where he, where he gets is now 40 catches and is somewhere around 600, 700 yards and, and four, five or so touchdowns. Uh, as a sophomore and you're thinking after that, you're like, okay, he's the go-to guy as a junior in 2021. And, and look, it's fall camp. We don't get to watch fall camp uh, in person uh, like we normally do. Um, But no one on the record or off the record is talking about Brian Addison. And I'm with you like that. That one in particular is really kind of head scratching because he played, he started almost half the year last year for the team. I think he is the uh, has the fourth most receptions of, of returning players, um, along with Pittman and Spencer Webb. I think those four were tied after the the big the big couple we talked about earlier, um, and Spencer Webb. You know, I, I, I it's weird. It's it's a it's a head again. It's a head scratcher. We're trying to figure it out here on the fly of okay, what's going on, with Brian Addison? Because it we kind of had him and Devin Williams penciled in as you know the co starters or option one A and one B at one of the receiver spots coming into fall camp and. Devin Williams is with the twos and Brian Radis- Brian Addison's basically MIA. So that's, that's, I think where I get a little concerned. We also haven't heard a ton about Will Hoyton and waters um, Isaiah Crocker. Um, we've heard a little bit about Josh Delgado, but there's just a lot of these names here that I'm expecting us to hear a little bit more from that, that have just been absent from conversations. And I don't know if we want to read too much into it, but we're in a position right now where we're recording podcasts, talking about what we're concerned with. And I think these concerns feel at least viable right now given information or the lack of information we've had about those guys. The Crocker feels like a, this is your year or it's Absolutely. never going to happen at, at Oregon type of a year, because look, we're discussing uh, a receiver group where you know, they're going to go four wide. They're going to go probably at 
in some scenarios, five wide this season. And there's going to be the base set could, could prime be primarily made up of three receivers. And when you do a, a base set of three receivers, you're going to need about nine guys at the position to be able to play per game. And, you know, probably seven of those guys end up, you know, really seeing a bulk of the, of the snaps. And we feel confident that Oregon has three and a half, four guys right now. And you're wondering, okay, well, where's Devin Williams? Where's Brian Addison? Where's Lance Wilhoyt? Where's J.R. Waters? Where's Isaiah Crocker? We know where David Davis is. He's literally running from one <laughs> side of the field to the other, playing offense and defense. Um, so I'm not really going to discount him at all. I think he'll probably help play a little bit for Oregon, but he's being spread all over the field. Josh Delgado's names come up a little bit, but you look at this and think, okay, Oregon's got plenty of bodies to do this. You know, it's not a lack of, it's not a lack of, of player personnel. And on paper, a lot of these guys are, are, high profile recruits. Devin Williams is a high four star. Brian Addison was a high four star. Isaiah Crocker was a high four star. Josh Delgado was uh, a three, four star, depending on the service you had. Once Will Hoyt be a four star. Jared Waters was a three star, but a league MVP in his high school region coming out of Southern California. And some of these guys are, are, are MIA, like, like you put it. And like I said, for Crocker, this is a, a this is your year or, or it's not going to be because they have four receivers coming into the program next year, led by five stars, Troy Franklin and, and top 50 recruit Dante Thornton, in which basically every analyst we've talked to says all four of these guys are day one contributors. And they're going to come in. And if, if, there's, if there's an opportunity to be one in which they could get immediate playing time, it's going to be like blood in the water for sharks. They're, they're going to come in and, and take it. And so – these younger guys that are behind the, the, the top four or three guys, this is their year to, to showcase why they need to be, you know, playing a ton in, in 2021 because a, a next wave of recruits are coming in that are just as good, if not better than when these guys showed up. We ran the story a couple of days ago after Thornton committed 10 of the program's 16 best wide receiver recruits since I think about 2001, when they started doing these rankings are going to be on next year's roster or have the potential to be on next year's roster. Again, I'm expecting that we may see a couple of these guys take off. I don't want to point names. I think you mentioned one in Crocker that would make a lot of sense if he can't figure something out this fall. I don't want to suggest that or, or say that that's set in stone or anything, but you know, just re- again, reading the tea leaves, he's behind the eight ball here. He needs to have a big year. And, and I guess it's a little disappointing. We haven't heard those names. Those are names that I think we should, we'll probably want to ask Mario about after Saturday scrimmage, just to get an update of like, Hey, we haven't heard anything about these guys or like, they're still with the team, right? Like what's going on? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, so I think, I think that covers the basis on the offense pretty much. I mean, I, I guess running back, you feel great quarterback. I think we've got a pretty clear picture after speaking with the quarterbacks earlier this week and, and kind of everything else we've heard that Tyler is going to be the guy, you know, and, it's just a matter of kind of some of these depth things figuring out at receiver and then kind of how it all shapes up at the offensive line. And I probably feel better about the offensive line than I feel about receiver. If I'm totally honest, just because you do need more guys in the field. And I just, I'm not confident after you get to three or, or maybe four with Chris Hudson um, based upon anything we've heard. I, I think I mentioned it on a previous show. One of the things that really struck my eye was uh, the discussion of using 
you know, the slot receiver typically traditionally being viewed as a smaller guy and that this year, you know, Oregon is, is going to use smaller players, but they're also going to use taller players. And I read that as a, as a direct you know, connection to Spencer Webb, who was the team's backup slot guy last year because of injury. And Webb is six foot six, 240 pounds. And I took that as, Hey, this is a shot that we could probably be have, have to be forced to put Webb into the slot because of other things around the, uh, the offensive line, and the, the receiver position group primarily. And let's, let's end this segment with this. Do you feel like part of this, any of this is a motivation tactic because Cristobal and his staff, they find ways to motivate, to develop competition in a plethora of ways. And there's a small ounce of me that says none of this, that, that, that all of these guys, Devin Williams, Brian Addison, Isaiah Crocker, uh, Delgado, Daywood, Lance Wilhoyt, Jerron Waters, J.R. Waters, all of these guys can't be this far behind the other group. Maybe it's maybe this is a move to hey, we feel really, really, really confident in Johnny Johnson, Jalen Red, and Micah Pittman. But those guys are established, they're talented, they've proven it, they're ready to go, they can handle being praised. This other group, they're they're not far behind from a production standpoint, but we're not gonna give them any kind of praise because we want them to be motivated and to continue to get better because we know there's more. Do you believe there's any bit of that going on right now? Let's go with that, Matt. I like that a lot better than the alternative, <laughs> which is that the guys just aren't very good. Which, and I, I think I would tend to believe that, that, that that's closer to the reality just based on the fact that we did see Brian Addison play last year. And I know he, he has he had up and down season. He had a touchdown drop against Auburn that Oregon fans will point to that might have changed that game's outcome. But he was a productive player, like we said earlier, and I, I kind of just don't understand it. Another thing here that's totally plausible that I was I think considering what we've been talking about this is, is could there be a, a couple of COVID cases in the wide receivers room? And again, this is totally and, and I probably shouldn't even put this out there. Maybe maybe we should edit this out. <laughs> but, but I'm just thinking aloud of, of like, could it be that they just these guys just aren't able to really practice right now um, because of something that we don't understand? And we just haven't heard anything um, because you're right. It feels like almost feels unlikely that Oregon really feels like they've got four really good receivers and then six guys that are all pretty highly regarded recruits that just aren't cutting it. I mean, that just doesn't seem to add up to me. And if that is where we're at, where they're at this right now, um, then that's real. I think that's real cause for concern. And again, this Saturday scrimmage, I, I hope we get a little bit more clarity just about what this second group of wide receivers looks like. All right. When we come back, we're going to flip the side of the football. We're going to discuss kind of maybe some question marks we have going on with the defense going into the midweek point of fall camp. All right. Welcome back to the Austin Audible's podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopo with me as always on the show. And we teased it at the break. We're flipping sides. We're going to look at the defensive side of the football now and just kind of where things are with this group and kind of, is there question marks that are that are that we don't know answers to yet or is there concerns with this group um I, I think there's a lot to look look at in a positive manner without a doubt um I, I think 
you know, George Moore said this defense, this front seven is just one of the best in the country, the best in the country. And he proceeded to call the entire defense the best in the country. He said, usually teams, when you're scouting, it's okay, look at number 14 or look at 12. And, you know, that's kind of the dude of the group. And he said, with Oregon's defense, you know who all the starters are. You look at them and, you know, just run through the list. So that's that guy, that's that guy, that's that guy. Just because they're all very talented. And you look at this as a scenario in which they're loaded. Um, is there a concern in your eyes with this Oregon defense right now? There's a lot less places that I would point to than an offense, um, for sure. You know, I, and I and I guess I would start. I'd start in the secondary. You know, um, I probably have two places. I'm I'm just going to single out positions because they're they're unlike like like specific positions. Um, cause unlike position groups, like we're talking about the offensive line or, or who like the four through or the five, six, seven are at receiver. There, there aren't those sort of questions that I have on, on defense, but I would say I would be, I'm just a little bit wary of Jamal Hill as a first year starter at nickel. We've heard nothing but really positive things about him, by the way. And so that concern is, is mostly just a lack of experience concern as opposed to a lack of skill set or a lack of what we're hearing. I mean, it seems like if you go read. Rob Mosley's practice reports and goducks.com and, and he is the only reporter inside practice. So I, I do recommend, I think that's a good resource. I know I've been reading those. It seems like Jamal Hill is getting praise every day for making plays, whether it's interceptions or blowing up runs or uh, recovering fumbles, et cetera. It just seems yep. like he's always, he's always mentioned. So um, I, I, my concern there is more just lack of experience. And then I guess my other concern is just that uh, the Mike linebacker spot. And it's, it's not, a, it's not a huge concern either. But Drew Mathis is probably atop that depth chart right now. Um, we spoke with Drew on Thursday, and, and he also said Noah Sewell is, is working behind him or, or alongside him. And he was pretty candid about saying that it's not a clear 1A and, or a clear 1 and 2. It's 1A or 1B kind of a situation more than that, which, which I think was, in, which was very interesting information. Um, but that's just another spot where it's a lack of experience, um, per se. It's not a lack of talent. I think everybody knows Noah Sewell's an all-everything recruit. Drew Mathis, I thought, looked really good last year. And we've heard, again, just like Jamal Hill, everything from players and coaches have been extremely positive regarding what Drew Mathis has done. Um, and those are probably, honestly, like the only two spots on the entire defense. I mean, you run through it, and it's like that. we know that defensive line is loaded. I mean, Kayvon Thibodeau, Jordan Scott, and Austin Folio, all those guys played a ton last year. All those guys have NFL futures. We can move on from that and feel really good. I feel great about Isaac Slade, Mato Atia, and Mace Funa at those other two linebacker spots. Again, guys that played a lot last year. Um, ISM played a lot more than, than Mace, but Mace was, I think, third on the team with eight and a half tackles for loss as a true freshman playing probably roughly 40% of the snaps behind Bryson Young. I mean, that that's for, speaks for itself. And then in the secondary, um, Mikhail Wright is very similar to a Mace Funa in terms of he, maybe he wasn't a primary starter, but it sure felt like he was capable or proved to be capable last year. And we know what Diamande Lenore is. I feel great about the two starting safeties, Verone McKinley and Nick Pickett. Those guys both started at least 10 games or 11 games last year. Um, and so there's not a lot, a lot of places to nitpick. I mean, where, where, do you, where do you look at? Are you, are you concerned about depth? Did, are a couple of the positions I ran through, do those concern you more than others? Or, or kind of where do you land? Because, again, it's, it's not like offense where you've got a couple of options. It really does feel like there's, there's only just a, one or two spots on defense that, that really could raise concern. Yeah, I mean, I defensively, I'm very, very bullish on the D-line. You know, I, I think Kayvon Thibodeau is probably going to be the best pass rusher in college football in 2020. 
I think Jordan Scott is maybe one of the best defensive linemen overall in the Pac-12. Austin Folio, if he's your third guy, your third best defensive lineman, he's very that's very good. You're in a very good spot because he he could start for multiple Pac-12 teams. He would start for I think every Pac-12 team. I should say that and be one of their better linemen. And and I'm not trying to say he's not good because he is, but he's Oregon's third best in out of three guys in the position. Um, and I, I have a ton of confidence in Popo Amave, Brandon Dorless, and then Keon Warehudson and Christian Williams. And so you're really only s- sitting here saying, okay, Oregon needs to find basically a pass rush specialist off the edge to, you know, to be back up to, to cave on Thibodeau. could be Braden Swinson. Yeah. Um, maybe it's, uh, Jade Navarrete, Trevor Mai, Isaac Townsend, you know, somebody, uh, but nonetheless, you, you know, you have five, six really good guys off, the, you know, uh, with that group at linebacker ISM Isaac Slade is a star. He's going to be a superstar in 2020. I feel very good about that spot. Mace Funa, same thing. Adrian Jackson, everyone raves about him as an outside linebacker. And, and then you've got, you know, some young guys in Noah Sewell, Justin Flo, uh, MJ Cunningham, trying to get themselves ready to play behind Drew Mathis, uh, Mathis, who's a senior. And so I think you got a good blend there. And so for me, it's the secondary and not necessarily the guys that are starting because like you, I, I think Oregon's starting group at, at the safety positions. And let's go with um, Oregon. We'll start from McKinley and Nick Pickett at safety, Jamal Hill at nickel, Michael Wright and Diamante Lenore at corner. I feel like all of those guys could produce all pack 12 caliber seasons for the ducks. Like, Me too. like I don't feel like that's out of the realm of possibility. Um, I, I, I think you could literally look at the first and second team defense in two months when the Pac-12 teams are released and we see five Oregon Duck players on that list of, of two of two teams. They, it just wouldn't surprise me one bit. Will it happen? Probably not. But I, I think all five of those guys have that capability. I think I think Lenore, I think Mikhail, and and possibly Verone have the potential to to be all Americans, I think yeah. in, in my eyes. And and you look at this and think. Okay, but what's behind them? And it sounds like Jordan Happel's a dude. The transfer from Boise State, it sounds like he's a dude, but but we don't know for certain. And I think the only guy we really feel really good about is DJ James. He was in line to start right away as a a redshirt, as a sophomore this season. And everybody else don't know. Think they could be good, but – how big of a drop-off is there? That's the question. I feel like I'm the student who wants his test back after handing it into the teacher because I, I kind of want to steal Matt's answers. <laughs> I, I, I think I, especially the pass rushing thing, I, I actually think that's legitimately a, a – that, that that's where I'll land, honestly, is like KT's awesome. Mace Funa looks awesome. What else do they have as pass rushers? Uh, Jordan Scott, traditionally not someone – that I mean, and again, he's a nose tackle. That's not what you expect. Austin follow you. And I know he said one of the things he wanted to work on this off season when we spoke with him um, was his pass rush and, and, and getting bigger and stronger so he could work through the moves, but also um, leaning out in some ways too. So he could be a little bit more quick of foot. Um, so I know that's a priority for those guys, but I, I don't look at either of those guys and say, I'm expecting, you know, 
I'm trying to, I was going to project four or five sacks for a season, but that would be a crazy number in an eight game season. So like, I don't know if those guys are going to put up much production in terms of sacks. I don't know if we can expect that. I think KT is going to, and I think Mace Foon is going to, but where else can that production come from? I think a name from that regard is Adrian Jackson. Um, I think, yeah, Mace Funa on, on Tuesday. I get my days mixed up, man. We've done so many of these. Oh, it, yeah. I have no idea. Have to tell me about it. I, I think it was Tuesday. I don't know. It could have been Wednesday or Thursday. I, what day is today? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, whenever Mace Funa spoke, he just really raved about Adrian Jackson's speed off the edge. And he, I think the quote was, I feel bad for opposing tackles who have to try to stop him just because his speed is so incredible. So that might be a, a sneaky solution. I know he's only like 235 pounds. Um, he's working at stud and then also the traditional Sam outside linebacker that really didn't play a ton last season. I don't, we might see more of that this year, um, but either way, that would be the guy I might kind of like point to as he might surprise some people just coming off that edge with that explosiveness. I mean, he, I, I know we've talked about his speed in the past, but he's like a 11, you know, flat 100 meter guy out of high school. And that's incredible speed for somebody playing this sort of position. So um, I look at him and think maybe he's the solution. If it's not him, that's probably where I get concerned because we don't have hardly any game tape from – well, we don't. We don't have any game tape from Isaac Townsend, Trevin Mai, Jaden Navarrete, Braden Swinson, Jake Shipley, Masiela Fisi. Um, and these are the other guys. Andrew, Andrew Folliou, we have a little bit of. Um, he moved over to, to stud uh, after being on the defensive line. I guess we have a small amount of him, Austin's younger brother. But you're right in terms of like I, I don't know outside of Kayvon Thibodeau, Mace Funa, and I'm going to throw Adrian Jackson in that group. I don't know where else the pass rush comes from in terms of and, – and it, quite frankly – those three guys might be enough, you know, it, they, I might be overthinking this and those three guys might be plenty in terms of pass rush. I mean, the Oregon was pretty great last year in that area um, and they lost Troy Dye and Bryson Young, both guys who were, I think, effective in that area. Um, is it crazy to think you just throw, you can kind of fill in with Adrian Jackson and Ace Foon and get similar production. It might not be at all. I look at, I mean, is there any do you, is there any concern with the inside linebackers? Like, part of me thinks they're going to be totally fine, and that's where I most often lean. Yeah. But at the same time, there's a lot of expectations being thrown on two freshmen in Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. Who, <clears throat> yes, they're five stars. They are two of the best players in the country last year, regardless of position but they're still freshmen. They're still learning a system in the most difficult offseason we've ever seen. There's a backup in Drew Mathis who played 12 games, primarily special teams. Drew Math uh, and MJ Cunningham, excuse me, sophomore. Drew Mathis is a senior. He, it felt like he was on track to maybe redshirt, but then played in seven games for the Ducks, started one in 2019. Yeah. And, there really isn't a ton of experience with Samson new and his status being up in the air right now behind Isaac Slate. Like Isaac has 21 games under his belt. Everyone else, you know, Cunningham played 12 games last year, but like I said, most of that was special teams and he, you know, he wasn't a guy that was out there a, a ton and non-blowout situations when Oregon's defense was deployed. So part of me is like, this group's going to be fine, but maybe I'm overconfident in, in the, in the lack of experience here, or, or are you 
entirely just bought in. I think I feel better than you do. Um, to be honest, I, I, I feel really good about Isaac Slade. I know you do as well. I think we're in total agreement that that spot, that will spot we think is going to be great. And we think he, you said a couple of days ago on, on the mailbag that he was your pick for the top linebacker on the team. And, and I don't yeah. think that's that far fetched. So we're in agreement there. And I, I get it. The Mike spot and Drew Mathis did say there's some difficulties because that is the position where you're making the calls. Um, at the same time, I just have a really hard time thinking, and, and maybe it will bite them early, and maybe that's a cause for concern here. We've got a new player in Drew Mathis making some of those calls, and you've got some true freshmen in Noah Sewell, um, you know, who, who in theory could be playing a lot too, who could be making those calls. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I really just have a hard time expecting or thinking that, that those guys are going to really struggle. I think – Mathis seems like somebody who's got a lot going on between the, between the ears. He's been really complimented for his leadership. Basically, every time anybody mentions him, they bring that up. Um, just a glue guy. and A much older player. I mean, you talk, you know, it's interesting hearing his story. He started out at San Diego State, played one year there, decided to transfer to a junior college, um, went from the junior college to Oregon, and, and now here we are um, you know, as, as a senior here in 2020 years and years after he was a high school recruit. So definitely one of those road less traveled kind of guys, but I think that kind of thing helps him. Um, you know, I, I look at him and think he knows how much this means. You could argue that why did he have to go to these other schools? His explanation was simply, he went to San Diego state because his older brother went there. His older brother was a senior. And after his older brother graduated, he realized it wasn't a good fit for him. And so he wanted to find another option. So he wanted to, he went to the junior college ranks and, and tried to find it. So I look at him and think I, I feel pretty good about him at, at worst being kind of like a, a glue guy for a game or two before they unleash Noah Sewell full, fully. And I think by that point, I'm going to feel really good about the position if Noah Sewell is somebody they feel that they can rely upon early on. So I think there is cause for concern, um, but I don't think that much cause for concern. Are there any other spots defensively? Like, do you, I mean, do you feel like we think Popo's pretty clearly going to be a, yeah. a, a really good player behind Jordan. I think we think Brandon Dorless, same thing behind follow you. I'm looking at the rest of this kind of projected too deep that we've been putting together and going like, I, I don't see a whole lot of other places where I'm, I'm kind of worried. And I don't, maybe we're being too optimistic here and they'll play Stanford and we'll be like, Holy crap, this whole defense stinks. What were we talking about? But, <laughs> but my, my, but my real feeling is don't that think that's going to happen. I don't think so. My feeling is you look at this and it's like, you got 11 quality starters and honestly, there's like, eight or nine guys behind them that I think are at least going to be pretty good. I mean, besides the depth behind the cornerback spot, my there, yeah. the DB spot, my real only concern with this defense is just kind of what does Oregon have behind Kayvon Thibodeau? And we just kind of ran through it, but it's, it's just a situation in which there really doesn't feel like, at every other spot, like like it is at every other spot in which you have a clear cut starter and maybe it's not one guy, but sometimes it's two, but there isn't this, okay, th th this guy's backup is X or blank. You know, you, you know with, with certainty that this is going to be a guy who will show up when given the opportunity and will play at a high level and just needs seasoning essentially needs, mm -hmm. needs time to develop his skills. And I don't know if we can say that right now about who backs up Kayvon Thibodeau. I mean, I look at this and go, okay, well it could be Isaac Townsend. It could be Trevin, my 
two guys, my eyes working at a stud linebacker. Haven't heard yeah. Townsend's name a lot. And maybe that's what we need to ask Mario Cristobal where he's working at. Um, it could be Braden Swenson. It could be Jake Shipley. Uh, where, where are, where does, where does these, these guys land? How do they fit into the mix? Just because, and then, and look, there isn't a Kayvon Thibodeau on this, on this team because Kayvon Thibodeau is, is a guy that it's going to be a potential number one draft pick. Like, so you're not going to have a guy that's immediately as good as, as Kayvon just waiting in the wings and just needs more playing time. But there doesn't feel like a guy that has a similar skill set of speed rush, you know, guy. And, and Kate, don't, don't have Kayvon hear that because he wants to prove that he's more than just a rusher. He can stop the run too. Um, yeah. But there's not a guy whose specialty is purely getting after the quarterback and, and just being able to beat the offensive tackle with a plethora of moves. I mean, I think that for me is the only other concern I have with this defense. I think, I think we're in agreement here in terms of just us. And I actually, I land where you land in terms of the, the, where, where else this pass rush comes from is probably the thing that would concern me the most. But I also think this was a team last year that was among the best nationally at getting after the quarterback and forcing tackles for loss and quarterback kits and all of that stuff. You go look at the metrics and they were really outstanding. And uh, I mentioned earlier, lost a couple guys, um, but not so many uh, that I think it's going to really ruin this group. And, and I guess the one thing you just have to be wary of is, is just the health of a Thibodeau in a COVID season of, does he miss a game or two there? And how does that impact things? But that's out of everybody's control. Um, and, and, and that is where, in theory, what we're talking about comes into play is if Thibodeau somehow can't be on the field, I don't feel great about that position. Um, but as long as he's out there, like, like Oregon's in a great spot. And, and I think that's the way I feel about the whole defense. And, and I certainly feel better about the depth at other spots than I do um, behind Thibodeau. And I'd love to hear when we talk to Andy Avalos um, and Mario Cristobal coming up here, just what, what's their experience been and kind of who, who, who are those candidates as pass rushers? Because I, I think that is one of the big questions for this defense. It's going to do it for us here on the Odds and Audible's podcast. For Eric Scopel, I'm Matt Prem. You've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Talk to you later, folks.